sacrifice for that service. It means that we sacrifice uh, in, in two ways for sadhana. We sacrifice for doing any service that Krishna requires. And that spirit of, of, of sacrifice, that of course is real spiritual life. Um, real spiritual life is it's about us making that um, connection, um, that connection with um, with Krishna. Um, just now, in the Bhaktivedanta manner, uh, at least I was in the Bhaktivedanta manner, and many devotees were in the Bhaktivedanta manner, and uh, we were discussing the Gundicha yesterday, and that was. In England, it was yesterday. In the US, it was earlier. Anyway, Gundicha uh, Maharjana, the cleansing of the Gundicha temple. And we see that Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur has given uh, a commentary on that particular pastime in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And in that commentary, he explains that the cleansing of the temple. Uh, it's a parallel to the process of purifying the heart. And the way you described it, or the way the pastime is described, is that uh, Lord Chaitanya and his associates go to the temple to clean, and they are provided with brooms. Uh, everyone is sweeping, and everyone is supposed to collect dirt. Right? And, and make a pile of whatever they've collected. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is using his cloth and he is collecting more than everybody else altogether. And he goes around and he encourages people who are doing very well and he chastises others who are not doing very well. Then after that first dirt is thrown out of the temple, then comes a second cleansing. This time, it is a more refined cleansing of the temple. And again, there is uh, dirt collected and so on. And then after that, that's also thrown out. And after that, it is the, uh, uh, the washing of the temple with water, they bring pots of water and throw water everywhere. So now if you look at it from the point of view of purifying the heart, then first, we have given up the gross sinful activities. Right? So that is the first cleansing. Well, it is saying we are 
blinding ourselves with the desire of Krishna externally in, in the way that we, uh, we, we eat, sleep, and all these things, we adjust uh, the external things. It's what we're doing. But then, in the internal cleansing, it's meant that uh, there's a change of heart, that there's a change of qualities. And uh, now, in this particular pastime, because Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was personally uh, stressing the endeavor of the devotees, in this particular pastime, endeavor is being very much highlighted, personal endeavor. Uh, there's also automatic purification. We are in Radhadesh. Yay! We know that. Don't worry. You get purified in Radhadesh. Right? This because the deities of Gopinath are here. The visas that, uh, that, that blow around here are purifying visas. Right? This place is not ordinary place. Right? Yes. So in this way, this place is... Uh, is powerful and potent, and just being here, one gets already benefit. So that is the automatic benefit. Any devotee that wears tilak, all right, is blessing others. It is described like that in the uh, in the Chaitanya Bhagavad. It said that um, just by wearing tilak alone, we are distributing blessings to all. So there are plenty of blessings going around here. I purposely put fresh tilak so that I could uh, clearly bless as much as possible. Right? Uh, just like without any trouble, automatically from the tilak alone. And so on and so on. Everyone is bringing the result of their service. Everyone has done devotional service, something we have done. And whatever devotional service we have performed, we're bringing those results here, right? uh, either here in the room or in or, or there on Zoom. Whether it's in room or Zoom, we are bringing the results of our devotional service. So in this way, uh, this is like a spiritual marketplace. And everyone has brought something to the market. Yeah, everyone has brought something. And by now, there's a whole exhibition of so many things that have been brought here. So therefore, the gathering is auspicious. Therefore, the gathering is purifying. Therefore, we are getting many blessings now. That is our good fortune. Uh, but of course, uh, thank you. Then there is the, the conscious endeavor. Uh, so now I'm speaking about that. First, a little water. The conscious endeavor versus, versus the automatic purification. Automatic purification is described in the verse It is said that through this process of devotional service, 
Anartas are being removed from the heart. Anartas are unwanted things are removed from the heart. That is further explained that there is the Aparatam Falam Pavam Kutam Bijam Falam Mukam Kamaneva Praliyata Vishnu Bhakti Manam in the Vishnu Purana. It is stated that there's a stock of karma in the heart um, from reactions to many sinful activities that creates an inclination, bija. A seed comes from that kutam, and that those seeds, that inclination will lead to further path, more sinful activity. And then that brings new reactions, which again are to the stock in the heart, which increases then the sinful inclination, makes the bija stronger. So, in this way, we get what in German, in good German, is called. Ein Teufelskreis, <laughs> which you cannot translate uh, like that in, in English, you know. In English, it's just a vicious circle, not a boring expression <laughs> compared to the devil's circle. Yeah, the, the Germans speak about the devil's circle. Uh, you, get, you just get caught in this circle and you just, uh, it goes on like that. So, Sometimes some of the uh, some of the reactions that are stored within the heart, sometimes they fructify, and then we get some something happens, some some experiences, um, and in this way, the stock is diminished a little bit by whatever reactions fructify that we're going, but uh, more reactions are coming in, so it's something like my email box, you know, <laughs> sometimes I answer one, but more letters are coming in. <laughs> and it's like also a Teufel's Christ. Yes. <laughs> yes. So anyhow, then there is the influence of bhakti, of devotional service and devotional service is influencing all the sages. The devotional service is diminishing the kutam, the stock. Devotional service is diminishing the bijam, the inclination for sinful activity. Devotional service is then diminishing the sin itself. And then whatever fructifies, devotional service gives one only diminished, diminished reactions. So in this way, we see that the, uh, um, this, this vicious circle is being broken by devotional service and diminished. Um, I was reading once in Encyclopedia Britannica and which said, debatably so, that the greatest impact on, on, the, on modern intellectual life uh, is the influence of Sigmund Freud. Now, whether that's true or not, I said debatably so. But Freud very much influenced the Western way of thinking, very much so. And the point is this, that Freud uh, presented, presented us human beings like a pressure cooker, uh, basically a kettle under pressure. And the only way is you have to let out steam. And the letting out of steam basically means you have to 
so the desire of building up within us and the and this desire gets stronger and stronger but due to social reasons we are not immediately expressing these desires because it's just social complication but then you know psychology tells you no no you know you have to let out the steam otherwise kaboom <laughs> there will be a serious uh, serious problem right uh, yeah so there has to be that emergency valve and the pressure has to be released so this model of the pressure cooker has uh, predominated the modern society and psychology has provided us with with this solution uh, therefore be honest therefore accept yourself and and so on now here we come with a vedic culture which is not so modern the vedic culture can be quite uh, quite strict right and uh, now the vedic culture also had a solution for the pressure and that simply was in front jai or picture and in the back you know uh, you do anything as long as people don't know uh, uh, yeah uh, anyway uh, so of course because the influence of kali is everywhere so vedic culture in modern times was also not able to maintain the standard of purity now uh, what else is there is that currently um, we are practicing bhakti yoga therefore we have an other solution to diminish the pressure in the pressure cooker we do not need to necessarily let out the steam because devotional service diminishes the pressure now that doesn't mean completely not right away completely and it's not that it's no more pressure no there is and we all know that very well uh, there still is pressure but still if we get absorbed in bhakti bhakti diminishes the pressure so then we do not need to avail of the emergency valve to let out the steam yes uh, yeah the steam of course you know when it comes to desires, Bhagavad Gita identified that there is a higher nature and a lower nature. So we have desires that relate to the higher nature, and we have desires that relate to the lower nature. Um, the lower nature is obviously entangling us more in a network of karma. It is more selfish. The lower nature is dealing with our own personal enjoyment either through the senses or through the mind or the intelligence we enjoy on all these levels right? um, now when the lower nature when desires are there in the lower nature yes then uh, these uh, then there is the line of sinfulness right it becomes more self-centered and then there is the line of sinfulness and then maybe a man doesn't care 
that he has a wife and two children, and he'll just start a secret affair with another uh, lady or something like that. Uh, with that, of course, causing a big disturbance in his uh, in his family life, and uh, yeah, and going over the over the line of sinfulness, and that can extend to 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 more and more selfish, self-centered desires, uh, and, and and gradually one degrades when one becomes influenced by the lower nature. Um, we see that when Krishna appeared in this world, then we see a description of Krishna dealing with so many demons in Vrindavan and how these demons were all mystic yogis that took a particular form based on a particular mentality that they had. And so because Agasura had a mentality that he had become cold-blooded and that for him, other living beings were utensils, things, things you use and after use, dispose of, disposable. So in this way, Agasura, the Agasura mentality um, represents this cold-bloodedness, this uh, and using other as simply utensils, as things, rather than as real beings. Now we see this. Uh, we see uh, brutal rape, you know, as an example of, of the Agasura syndrome, right, which manifests this cold-bloodedness. So, Okay, now I went to the lower nature and I took it lower and lower and it can go lower still, but we're not going there today. I think this was low enough <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. So now I want to go to the, the higher nature. And we have desires that come from the higher nature. So naturally we nourish these desires from the higher nature. And in, there is devotional service in practice. In devotional service in practice, we, we control the desires from the lower nature. We're not giving them rope, and we sort of starve them. We just we starve that. We starve that side of our personality. Now, psychologically, Freud might think, whoa, what, you, what, what are you doing? Repressing, this is very dangerous. Now the pressure will really increase. Yeah? No, because we also chant Hare Krishna and we do devotional service. Yes, we are absorbed in devotional service. And because we get benefit from that devotional service, then it becomes possible. So then we can do. In this way, we are, we are vowing for regulated principles, which is like uh, quite something, actually. Quite something. Right? But it is possible because we're doing devotional service. Hmm. And then we embrace the, uh, yes, the, 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 the higher nature. And the higher nature is just the opposite of the, uh, of the, uh, 
we were making a recording in London, you know, and he came in the studio. So I'm one at one moment, I'm sitting there singing, you know. So we had two days of recording, and it's just singing the first day. I'm sitting there singing, like really like my eyes closed, devotional. Then I felt something. I opened my eyes, and this lens, this one, is this far from my face. <laughs> <laughs> That's really like, oh, boy. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, you had your fun, you know. <laughs> There's not a photo shoot. Uh, yes, so the so that higher nature, then, uh, is the nature of the Brahmana. It is the Bhagavatam speaks, or the Bhagavad Gita story speaks about. Brahmana and Kripana, and Kripana Falahetava, it's just the Kripana is that self-centered person, he's a miser. So such a person becomes a miser, he's always for me, everything for me. And, and, and whereas the higher nature is about giving, it's about being very generous, and generous with oneself. Real generosity means to be generous with ourselves. If we're generous with ourselves, then, every, then we automatically give everything else also, isn't it? If I give myself wholeheartedly, then you've got everything. Kits and kabulu, as they say. Yes, then everything is there. So that is the, the higher nature, ultimately. It is about service. It is about giving, giving ourselves. This is something um, I realized that in, at one point quite clearly in Krishna consciousness. And, uh, and then I, I tried to live it. I tried to live it. Um, and of course, others are trying to live it. That is this movement. The, the Sankatan devotees are trying to live it. Uh, like in Recently in America, we were associating with uh, Vaisheshika, and Vaisheshika is a is a creative person, and he's quite creative, and I like uh, I like him for his creativity. Um, he is, uh, of course, totally inspired about book distribution, and then he just made up a whole story, you know, of like someone and then someone came to the door and then the mercy of lord chaitanya and the whole thing started to happen there and i'm not going to repeat the whole story but it was interesting because it wasn't your standard uh, lecture you know he was just making up a story so i kind of like it when people uh, do something like that um, something creative yeah, I appreciate that. Anyhow, uh, but that spirit of giving, that, that spirit of giving, um, is, is there any, any need for that? Or that the brothers are having some intimate exchange? <laughs> they haven't seen each other for ages. <laughs> they have to express their love for each other. <laughs> yeah. There are three brothers, and these are two of them. Yeah, very happy together. It's, it's a happy family. And he's, he's an adopted one. <laughs> Almost half, half, half brothers. 
God brother. That's also there. Yes, so. They are the Engelberger. That means they are the angels that live on the mountain. <laughs> and they live there in, in, in Bayern, in uh, Bavaria, you call it in English, uh, on this mountain, the mountain of Leutnerschwingen. And this angel family is taking care, generation after generation, of, uh, of Leutnerschwingen. So that's very nice. Uh, yes, so that's the sort of thing to do, uh, where we say, yes, let's just dedicate ourselves. And it's really nice when these things live in families. In India, have all kinds of families that have like, as a family, they are serving. For example, you have the, pal the, the palanquin carriers, you know, the, the palanquin carriers. Now, the deity goes on different palanquins, different palanquins, uh, different uh, chairs or, or, or like, uh, anyway, to carry the deity. And they have different designs. You know? So some are just like two sticks and there's a little temple-like altar and the deity's in there and he's being carried like that around. Others are like a swing, it's a triangular swing sitting on a, on a beam. And then they walk and then they stop and then they move the swing. Then they have different steps with the swing. They do the elephant step. Now, I don't know if you've ever rode on an elephant, you know, I mean, maybe not. But if you ride on an elephant, eh? an elephant goes from here to there. It's like you said, this elephant will go to <laughs> This is elephant riding. Yeah, I have experience. Um, it's different than horse riding, you know. So they do different steps, right? So the, the palaki carriers, they don't just carry. No, no, they do steps as well. So they have the elephant step, and then when they carry the swing, then the Lord is swinging while they do the elephant step. They have a horse step. And in this way, you know, the Lord goes on his horse. So they have many steps, actually. I don't know all of them, of course. And they have some tricks. Uh, and it lives in the family. There are these families of palaki carriers. And they, they learn it from their, from their ancestors. And the tradition carries forward. And the family does it for generations. Uh, these are it's very nice to see how devotion, how bhakti lives in a family. Uh, um, now... Of course, most of us, you know, like some of us, maybe come from more devotional families, right? Uh, definitely, uh, and others, others less. But uh, whatever may be, um, we have now come to this family, right? Srila Prabhupada's family. And Srila Prabhupada's family, there's this movement is a family which is based on very high standards of devotion, very high standards of bhakti. Yes? And, you know, like I, I know some temples where I used to come, people say, well, you know, for the last 32 years, we're changing the dress of the deity every Purnima. And I go, every Purnima? 
once a month, <laughs> once a month, we do it twice a day, once a month. Of course, we appreciate, you know, that they do it once a month for, so, for the last 32 years, not, not nothing, but still Prabhupada had us do it twice a day. Seven Aratis offering, so a very high standard, very high standard. And it's not us, not our credit, that is the credit of Srila Prabhupada. So we are all family members uh, in Prabhupada's family. We are all here um, in that greater family. Now, imagine you have a great family, but then within that family, you have smaller, uh, smaller families, right? Uh, you know, it's like every, the aunties, the uncles, the, the, the nieces, the, you know, the, um, in India, they're really good at this, you know, brothers, sisters, uh, nephew, and meets uh, aunties, uh, aunties, uncle, and they know, have all names for all these, uh, these, these, these uh, relationships, very intricate. Yeah? Uh, but even in, 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 in the West, we also have something, you know, something. I, I have like direct cousins, then I have like, uh, the sons of my cousins, right? what are they becoming? And then their children, and we know them all, and we all meet sometimes. So like this, the bigger family gatherings. Um, so within that bigger family, we have also of, of Srila Prabhupada, we also have smaller families. And in, in one way, right, uh, Yes, every spiritual master creates his own family. Is and, and it's like even expressed like that, you know, God brothers, God sisters, and so on, God family. Uh, it's there, and there's a particular mood, just like in every home, there's a particular mood. Uh, as a kid, uh, a few times, my mother, uh, she. Uh, she went on holidays and um, my parents went on holidays. And then they put us with, uh, with uh, some other families, you know, like uh, for a week or so. <laughs> that was tough. Um, um, there was this one family. Um, when you had done something wrong, then as a punishment, in the middle of the day, they sent you to bed. <laughs> and you're like, what is this? <laughs> it, it totally didn't make sense, you know? Like, I wasn't used to that. My parents, if you did something wrong, they would sit you down with a very serious face and give you a lecture why it was wrong and that you couldn't do it again kind of thing. That's how I grew up, right? And they gave you reasons and arguments, you know? And then this family, this house that we stayed, the lady told me, go to bed, go to bed. <laughs> it's the middle of the day. <laughs> it was a, a very strange experience for me. Uh, so yeah, so different families have a different mood. And then they sent me, uh, my, my family, I'm from 
Holland, near Amsterdam, you know, they were, uh, Amsterdam is where they make money. You know, it's the heart of Holland, the financial capital of the Netherlands. It's where they make a lot of money. So uh, people are busy with that. And spiritual things, yeah, they're also there sometimes, you know, but not too much, not too, you know, must be dosed, right? Not, don't overdo it now. Uh, kind of in that kind of atmosphere. So then they put me with a strict, a very strict Catholic family that would go, so they would be around the table and say, say their prayers. The father begins, then the next one starts. And it goes all before the dinner, goes around the table. And I was like, <laughs> looking everywhere. So, all right, what's going on here? It, it, then every day to the chapel, and yeah, it was also complicated for me, who didn't come from a Catholic background. There's this ritual and everyone goes on their knees all the time. And it's really complicated for, I was sitting there like, okay, Phew, this is complicated. I never knew when to, when to go down and so on. Um, of course, you know, now we are part of this Hare Krishna movement and we just put our nose on the ground. It is, it is not, not a big deal, right? As a child, I was like every child reading comic books. That's, I mean, I was reading comic books. What can I say? Now in these comic books, one of the personalities they always made fun of were the Chinese. They had some traditional Chinese, always made fun of them. And the Chinese would always say, this lowly fallen worm, right? This lowly fallen unworthy worm. And as a kid, I was reading, I think I couldn't get it, you know? I said like, why are these Chinese calling themselves lowly fallen worms? I thought, this is really strange. These days, I'm very happily calling myself a lowly fallen worm, right? I mean, this lowly fallen worm is sitting here talking to you today. Uh, what can I say? It's like I have no qualification of my own. I'm only sitting here because of mercy, somehow or other. I can only talk because of mercy. The Vaishnavas bestowed it upon me. They somehow or other, Krishna allowed me to join Iskon in Vrindavan. Somehow or other, he allowed me to stay there for a long time. Somehow or other, I got initiated there. Somehow or other, first initiation, second initiation, then sannyas, all these things, blessing, 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 blessing. And not just uh, automatic, uh, invisible blessings, like I discussed uh, before, like being here in Radhadesh, but blessings that each time uh, asked me to make an endeavor and a commitment. And that commitment is something very potent and very powerful in which we grow. Um, so yes, uh, today I, I wanted to speak about this commitment because it is commitment 
that gives us real spiritual focus. Without commitment, our focus in spiritual life is not really there. We're sort of there. We're there in the midst of, of Krishna consciousness. Socially, we're there. We're surrounded by people who are doing spiritual things. But because our commitment is, is not there, we remain on the external periphery. The more commitment is there, the deeper we actually enter into the, the true, uh, yeah, the true depth and true meaning of Krishna consciousness. And in the end, that means meet Krishna face to face. Yeah? It's like, yeah, here he is. There's Krishna. He's real. He's not. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was not like TV came relatively late in my life, not in my early childhood. And uh, so I watched some TV for a while. Uh, and uh, but I also saw that TV was sort of destroying human relationships and interaction. Prior to the TV, we used to sometimes make music at home, right, together, yeah, and sing and things like that at night. We do, and you know, it was something we would uh, we would discuss, we would read, we would read many many books. Right? Then, when television came, all that that went away. Anyway, one program I still remember was about the invisible man yeah, who was dressed in a suit and had wrapped a bandage around his face and a hat. But then, huh? but then sometimes he would take, take that off and then he was invisible and on some mission and, you know, and, uh, and dealing with some criminals and this and that, and, or solving real problems in, in the world. Anyway, so yeah, the invisible man, right? And of course, in one set, yes, this is the thing about God. He's invisible. Uh, when we go on an airport, uh, some airports are almost like religious uh, exhibitions. You know, I'm on this airport, there are a few little nuns from Kerala, right? You know, they're always there. I see some Spanish priests with boots on, like as if they've been horse riding. Uh, you know, you used to see some of Mother Teresa's people in the saris with the blue borders. You know, you'd see, of course, some some Syrian Jews with the uh, the curls and the the hats, you know, and everything. Uh, and the black clothes, uh, some yeah, some Dariwalas, some Muslims were there. Uh, yes, uh, like that. Then then see some Orthodox Christians. You know they have like special hats and so on that they are wearing, and it's it's a full fashion show. Okay? And of course, I was also part of it. <laughs> you know, I enjoyed. But I was looking at it also. This is this is a religious fashion show here. This is amazing. Look at this, and then I'm also there. Uh, yes, this is very interesting. Then I was thinking, yes, and why? Why is there so much variety? Because it's invisible. God is invisible to people, to mankind. Right? 
the invisible Lord. Yes? And, and that's the issue. Now, India says sometimes he makes himself visible, he descends, and then he's in an avatar and he shows a whole, shows himself. And uh, yeah, that's also there. Uh, but otherwise, even here we are chanting Hare Krishna and follow and reading and discussing and every day every day is about krishna uh, not a day goes by that we are not spending time with krishna and krishna consciousness and still krishna is invisible to us still he is um, so the but the, the ultimately we're doing all this and hope that one day we'll meet him face to face. Yeah. We'll actually see him, actually be able to talk to him. Uh, talk with him. Now we can talk to him. Yeah. We pray, we talk, we talk to God. You know, we're there, we just like, oh, Lord, here I am. Yeah, and so on. And present our whole whatever's on our mind that we can do. But is he talking to us? Then you have the thing called the sign of God. You know, there are comics about it. You know, like you see these, uh, you know, it's like you see these two or two men, look, and there's a sign, you know, and it says sign of God. And it says, look, a sign of God. Yeah. yeah, so sometimes signs of God are driving within the Jumna Maharaj and the, and the, the sky was all gray and clouded and then suddenly a hole came in the clouds and then these sun rays came through and in some old bibles you find sometimes a picture like that you know so in the jungle Maharaj obviously had seen such bibles so he goes look look god <laughs> that was interesting yeah uh, anyway, so seeing Krishna directly is maybe difficult. Seeing Krishna face to face is difficult. In the earlier stage, we see Krishna's hand, hand in our life. Uh, this is, uh, of course, in so many ways. No? In the bigger picture in our life, we can see how there is, is, yeah, all those things that just happened. And it just seemed to be totally, uh, what shall we say, you know, totally uh, uh, didn't make sense. In hindsight, we see that, oh, there was a whole, whole plan there. You know, it was almost like a perfect. So I was uh, the other day, and I did a lot of things in London. Uh, and one day, Krishna Kirtan, who is a dynamic personality, arranged that a camera crew comes in and they had lights and all kinds of uh, microphones and things, it was quite a professional setup. And here we went interviewing Kadamba Kananda Swami about his life. Well, well, well. Uh, but one thing I can say, uh, my early childhood, 
that was okay. But then my teenager years, they were in intense. This microphone is misbehaving. Is there a reason? Or? Yeah. Is it a battery issue? Do we have more batteries? We have another mic. We have another mic. I have a mic. Yeah, I'm happy. This I don't mind taking this thing off my head. Actually, it's squeezing on my on my head. Yeah. Okay. Better. Phew. Yeah, maybe not better. Oh, oh yeah, much better. Uh, now it's just, just a little on the edge of uh, the volume should be sl slightly down. Totally calm. Yes, no, but it's better. The other thing was squeezing on my head and I was trying to get a headache, get a headache from it. So I, I'd rather have pain in my hand than in my head. <laughs> um, so, um, yes, the, uh, okay, yeah, now, uh, huh? I, now, now my microphone is dead. This also? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll sort it out. Thank you. Um, so, mm, we're speaking about the hand of God and about the arrangements in our life. So, in my life, in the first uh, part of my life, things were very were nice and, and uh, nice house, nice garden on the south, fruit trees in the garden, uh, nice. But then when I was 13, then there was a lot of problems. My father had a lot of problems and, and breakdown and this and that. And then for 10 years, it was really intense. And, uh, but it helped actually, if you think about it now, when I was going through it, I was thinking this is too much uh, because I was in a situation where there was always a crisis. And if anybody asked, how are you? I could never tell the truth because people don't want to hear it. They just want you to say, fine. And when you say like, you know, it's hell. <laughs> They're like, uh, okay, we didn't ask for that. You know, <laughs> I mean, give us a break, you know? I mean, you're not going to tell us all that, right? Uh, sorry, but we got to go now, right? So as soon as you tell people the truth about what's going on, they all run away. So you become quite isolated when in a situation like this, where you can't talk about it with anyone. Anyway, went through all that and so on. But, uh, but I had my music and my music saved me because that was something sacred. I was singing and, make, and playing guitar. And uh, yeah, I always looked for the sacred in music. So the music nourished me. So that helped me to survive. But uh, beyond that, it also did one thing. See, when I was younger, my father always had the idea that you are going to be my successor, young man. Yes. And he was training me up for that. He was putting, like, even when I was a kid, he put me in a suit and take me to the factory and I get the royal tour, you know, and show me everything. And, and he was in textiles, a big textile factory. 
And uh, the thing was that uh, they made uh, furnishing, you know, carpets and, and, and this kind of furnishing cloth and curtains and all these things uh, in huge quantities. And uh, so as they gave me the tour as a kid, I was maybe seven or eight in a suit and uh, walking around this, uh, this factory. And I saw all the wool come in, in big containers, and there was so much blood on that wool. And I never imagined that. So I was kind of, this is kind of shocking, right? Why so much blood? It's like, what are they doing to these, to these sheep? So it looked kind of not so sweet, actually. So even in that first tour of the factory, I, uh, of the mills, I got some, uh, some doubts about the whole thing that was going on. And then later, uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, the, uh, a whole lot of, it was a big multinational company and many of my family members were in, in management positions in that company and they wanted me to be in there also. And, uh, but when I saw my father going through his difficulties, it cured me. It completely cured me, right? I just really decided, forget it. I'm not gonna do this. I became very determined. And the funny thing was, I didn't know what I wanted out of life, but I knew very well what I didn't want out of life. That I knew. And with that, I wrote a song I'm nothing but a stranger, always around. I'm nothing but a seeker for what I've never found. Yeah. A stranger because no situation I could call home. No situation could say, this is where I belong. No, I didn't. I didn't belong in the life that my family offered me. I didn't belong in the life that school offered me. I didn't belong in, in a job from Monday to Friday. I just didn't belong. Yeah, so I was a stranger, but it was okay. I was also a seeker, but I didn't know what I was searching for, but I knew I will know it when I find it. Yes, in this way I left. The day I find, when I find it, I will know it. I will know it, so I left like that. And I went on this search, right? And so now in hindsight, right? I can, I, I'm sometimes thinking maybe in my last life, I was praying, oh Krishna, oh Krishna, if I have to take another birth, please, please don't let me forget you. Well, Krishna made some arrangements. I mean, just sort of, uh, pulled the rug from under us, you know, literally speaking, my nice, sweet little life where everything was so good and so nice. We had our sweet apples and pears from the garden and cherries from the cherry tree. It was really good. And then, boom, so, uh, and then I got 
burned and said, okay, enough is enough. Now I can see that it was Krishna who prepared me for everything I'm doing now. I can see that he was simply preparing me and making these arrangements. Now I understand. Now I understand Krishna's hand in there. In those days, I couldn't see Krishna's hand. No way. What's going on here? This is too much. You know, I am most unfortunate. Other people are living so happy. One friend of mine who was a photographer, he said, he, he dressed me up in a black, in black clothes, took me to a burned down house and had a photo shoot in the burned down house. <laughs> anyway, I, and I just went along with it. These were heavy times. Yeah, heavy times. But they gave me depth also. You know, they, they, they also prepared me for what I'm doing now. So that I'm not just a, uh, a person who giggles and laughs and jokes and is also sweet, but I can also go deeper and, and, and deal with, yeah, with life, right? with the real issues in life. And, um, it all prepared the ground. So it's very interesting to see how our life unfolds and how actually Krishna is behind it all. And it's, I'm just telling mine, but we could uh, we could do musical chairs and, you know, and you could wind up in this chair and you could tell your story about your life and how it really prepared you for what you're doing now. Right? And if you would go through such a session, of course, uh, it would get very late. Right? <laughs> and time is such a thing in this world. And then it's bedtime again. And if you if you ignore it, then you can write off tomorrow. Uh, so I'm not going to do that tonight. So therefore, I stay where I am in this chair and sharing it with nobody. But <laughs> I'll be the chairman. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, uh, I just wanted to share these things with you. And I'm sure you also can see now how everything brought you here to the point where you are now and that Krishna's hand was there in the whole thing. Yeah. And, and I sometimes uh, get glimpses in people's lives. And so and some I know for a long time and then I see their lives over many years. And it's very interesting you know, how it all unfolded. And then in the end, it all yeah, suddenly turns and you see, wow, Krishna was here all alone, making all the arrangements. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so I think this is very wonderful to encounter Krishna in our life. Uh, we also encounter Krishna in the Shastra. And, but it is real life that gives us depth in in our uh, in our readings of the Shastra. The Shastra provides us with the with the goal of life. And without Shastra we wouldn't know what the goal of life is. The Shastra provides us with the with the essence of 
of the process of bhakti yoga it provides us with um, um, a whole framework right? but life itself provides us with experience and then when we are at the same time trying to practice devotional service according to scriptures yes then it all gets deep heartfelt meaning uh, because yes uh, that is also Krishna's arrangement um, this whole material world we may think we may look at the material world as a place to enjoy Srila Prabhupada went on his morning walk and when he was on the morning walk he came past a children's playground and there was a sign you know children's playground or something like that and then and then Prabhupada turned around, pointed his cane at the city, adults playground. Right? So this whole, so people see the world as a playground. Yes. Uh, one has, there are other worldviews. Another worldview is to see the world as an educational institution, that we are here to learn a lesson and so on. So there are, different worldviews like that right? and it is uh, it is clear from a krishna conscious perspective uh, that this material world is not designed for us to enjoy um, the uh, yeah the eastern philosophies are very much in agreement on that right whether it is uh, the impersonalist, whether uh, for, of, following of Sankaracharya's line, following a Vedic tradition, or whether it is the non-Vedic Buddhists, right, or whether it are the, the Vaishnavas, um, we all agree that this material world is sukha dukkha will give us happiness and distress. That's for sure. And so we have a certain neutrality. We're not elated, you know, like, oh, I, I won the lottery. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, but then they do sometimes these articles. They follow the people who won the lottery yeah, and follow what happened next. You know, they won the lottery and what happened next. There was one boy, a devotee, uh, and his, his mother bought a lottery ticket for him. He's living in the temple, Brahmachari, and his mother buys a lottery ticket for him. He says, Mom, Mom, we can't do that. You know, Mom, this is not allowed. This is gambling. You know, this is not about it. She said, look, I bought this ticket for you, and I'm not taking it back. Right? And she just left it with him. Right? And he's thinking, yeah, you know, what if I, if I throw it away? What if I win? I'll never forgive myself. You know, so what he did, he put it in the Bhagavad Gita. And he says, if I win, I'll give all the money to Krishna. He won and got a million dollars. Anyway, uh, for a moment, he had a little doubt. <laughs> it had a, it had a difficult moment, uh, naturally. <laughs> If suddenly, 
you have a million dollars, you know, like uh, imagine, gee, uh, <laughs> what you could not do with that. Eh? But in the end, he gave it all to Krishna. And then he got the name, he gave it uh, to the which means <laughs> one, or one who surrenders a million dollars. You know, sometimes real life is, is better than the movies, actually. I think actually really. The movies, they have scripts, you know, but real life, you know, the script is better, better than the movies. That's my experience. I'm just watching real life and I never have to bother with movies because it's not boring. It's not boring at all to watch the real. Two servants. I have only one. <laughs> Two personal servants. Pretty good. My servants have never done that for me. <laughs> one is petting him and the other one is standing. You will do, huh? Nice. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm going to ask for some questions. I'm first going to take two questions from online, and then I'll take two questions from the from the hall here. So any hands up there? All right, everybody, just click on your hand, and uh, and we'll, somebody can see. I can't see properly from here. Is anybody got a hand up? Okay, Sanatan and Seha in Australia. Yeah. The one who puts the hand up goes always in the corner. Yeah. Okay. It's like school. Let's put you in the corner. I don't know if we can hear you. We're going to try because we, we have. Here, yes, please. Hare Krishna Maharaj. We're back in the box. So oh, did you have a good journey? Yes, long one though. I know, I know. I've done it many times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're good. Right, just the... Uh... Came from Brisbane, Australia to meet me in England, and he, and he just went back. Yes. Maharaj, uh, just in regards to a question that was asked uh, when, in the last Zoom meeting, how do you see as the future of our movement in terms of um, more centers or more big temples or you know smaller preaching events? Okay. Um, we, 
So I hope you all heard that. How do I see the future of this movement? Uh, how is it developing? Bigger temples, smaller this, that, events. Um, well, I think that this movement will uh, naturally uh, become much more diversified. You know, Srila Prabhupada started with his temples and pretty much everything happened in one temple. They were a house and, you know, sometimes bigger houses or bigger buildings, but everything was in there. There were all kinds of people, very different people that all met each other in that building. Over time, we got more variety of places, more varieties of entrance points, more varieties of of different places to be. We were just in London and we had, uh, okay, we had the Bhaktivedanta Manor, which is like sort of a big institute kind of place. Then, you know, you have Soho Street Temple with a restaurant and, and a little temple upstairs. That's your little downtown city, city temple. Then you have uh, a few blocks away, Studio 108, which is sort of, your soft entry for younger people. Uh, then, you know, you have uh, a place like Radhadesh, where we are now. And this is sort of the place where, you know, you can invite your mother. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, a, it's a good place for a mother, right? You know, really. No, it is, you know. Uh, it's like you have a restaurant, you know, a bit normal. Yeah, it's not absolutely strange. You can normally sit there and have, okay, people can have some decaf, you know, but with some, you know, with some apple pie or something, you know, and some ice cream, normal, some, 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 you know, Belgium, some French fries, it's Belgium, some pizza, it's sort of a normal restaurant, right, where normal people can be comfortable. Um, so Radhadesh in many ways has that, you know, there's a bakery that's also very normal, gift shop, and even the, it has a guest house, and you can even stay there, and you don't have to really go to the castle if you don't want to. So it's perfect to bring your mother. <laughs> no. uh, it's, a, it's sort of a, an easy entrance point. So there are so many entrance points in Krishna consciousness, and we'll have more and more. We need universities, serious universities, right? Where we can, can go in depth and offer real uh, in-depth education of Krishna consciousness in all its aspects, not just, you know, uh, uh, yeah, not just the... Uh, a few courses, but a, on, on the Bhagavad Gita, but a serious, uh, a serious curriculum. So all that has to grow, all that has to develop. We, you know, sometimes uh, some sannyasis are speaking and they're saying, Krishna Kshetra Swami, he is a sannyasi, but he's also a, a professor, an Oxford scholar. And, and he was talking that maybe he should start the Jesuit order in the Hare Krishna movement, you know, like of, of like missionaries or educators and, and, and so on. And uh, why not? We can have 
something like that. Yeah, we can have uh, monasteries, we can have uh, we can have uh, city centers, which are cultural centers where people are entering and, you know, where Krishna consciousness is, is presented in a, in a soft way and uh, where there are activities to bridge the gap, a little hatha yoga, a little this, a little that, all that can be. So I think that all that variety will grow more and more. You know, we saw that in more recent years, we saw that there is a group called Krishna West, right? That are developing a particular mood of, okay, just dress in regular Western dress and live like that. Then in Africa, some of the Africans uh, begin to talk about Afro-Krishna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they also want their own culture uh, and you know and more and more they want it to be African and they want like an African expression of Krishna consciousness and traditionally it's been like that if you go in India you can see Manipuri Vaishnavas uh, and you can see Gujaratis J.C. Krishna yeah. uh, I like that and yeah the Manipuris uh, they have their dances, and uh, uh, there was a big group from Manipur visiting Spain, and they had been there for a Jamastami in Malaga. They did a big performance. So there was a group of about 30 of them, and they're doing different things. Uh, they, did, they had like uh, sword fights, dancing with swords. They had a Rasa dance performance. You know, they had... Uh, uh, so then they were passing through Barcelona, which is like a smaller temple, not about the same size of where we, the, the room where we are now. And, uh, and they missed their connection and they got stranded there. And I was also there. There were Manipuris everywhere. <laughs> they were sleeping on the restaurant tables. They, there's like, I went to my room, there were two Manipuris on my bed. <laughs> it's like, there were Mani, Manipuris in the shower, there's Manipuris in the kitchen, wherever you go, there was a Manipuri, you know? It's like, and then, uh, so we really got the Manipuri experience. And then they all dressed up in their traditional costumes, you know, Man in white dotes, long quarters, and they had like red cloth tied around their waist. And the ladies have these skirts that are, what shall I say? They they have rings. Oh, he's waking up. Hmm. He's not convinced about waking up. Anyway, the ladies were. They have these skirts with rings under it, so they look like, uh, oh, what shall I say? They look like lampshades. <laughs> yeah, like lampshades, they do. They, the skirts that look like lampshades. That's one way of describing them. You can Google it, Manipuri skirts. It's like, but you, when you see them, you can see they are like lampshades. So, 
And then we went into the street, the, them in their costumes, and we did this big, big uh, kirtan. And they were dancing with their drums and they were going in a circle and they were dancing backwards with their back to the middle, spinning around like with their back to the middle. Yeah. They had some dancing style like that and big drum and boom, boom. And it was uh, <coughs> quite something. <coughs> Contagious. Uh, it was something. And then what happened was. Uh, so many people in the street, you know, we were right there in the heart of Barcelona on the Rambla, you know, that's a very famous location. So, okay, see, lampshades. <laughs> they do look like lampshades, don't they? <laughs> Anyway, they did a full show on the street, you know, first the man doing a big dance uh, on the street, and then we brought hundreds of people back to the temple, and then they did like, and then the ladies came out, and then they did a whole Rasa dance thing in the temple, uh, and, uh, and the interesting thing was, they did the whole performance with their back to the audience, facing the deity. They were doing the, the performance for the deity. <laughs> that was really something they go like, wow, this is like, uh, this is another level of culture, right? This is a Vaishnav culture. They said they were performing for the pleasure of Krishna. And yes, we could all be there, but they were facing Krishna. And we saw their backs as they were doing the Rasa dance performance. But it was an extraordinary display of traditional Vaishnav culture, okay? And there's a lot more to say about the Manipuri culture, but, you know, I'm not going to tell everything tonight. So I think we'll, we'll have all of that, Sanatan. We will have, and I've seen already interesting mixes of Krishna consciousness. You know, we had a few of devotees from Australia. Now, Australia, right, since you're living in Australia these days, right, Australia is a place, you know, it's a bit informal, you know. It's like when you see the Olympics and there's a parade and you see all the countries walking, they all walk in formation. And then the Aussies come, you know. <laughs> and they sort of just walk like a group, you know, like, I mean, like, they're not, 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 no lines and just walking, right? So the Aussies are like, like a bit like that. So at one point, we had some Australian devotees who start preaching in Jaipur. Now, Jaipur is pakka. Ah, Jaipur is a pakka place. It is traditional. It is, there is uh, a lot of Brahm Brahminical culture. There is, uh, is everything is so first class. People in Jaipur, they, are, uh, you know, they, they have some standards. And then the, the Australians came and they just, in the Australian way, as people would come and say, Namaskar. The Australians would just like slap up, <laughs> slap them on the back, you know, like slap them on the back and say, "How are you going?" <laughs> but the funny thing was, the, the funny thing was, you know, 
that the uh, that the people the people in Jaipur they actually liked it. <laughs> they actually start, they actually liked it. This warm, informal, you know, instead of like namaskar. Yeah, it was actually so warm and personal that they actually liked it. And then they made Aussie halva. Now the Aussies, not Indian halva, no, Australian halva. Good butter in Australia. Lots of lots of golden syrup. And people in India, you give some sweet, they generally go like, just take little to taste. But the Australians would give them like huge quantities, you know. <laughs> but then they really made it so tasty with the butter and, and the syrup and everything that the Indian people also start to eat more halva. They actually liked it. So somehow or other, this, this mix of the Australian uh, way and the Indian way, the traditional way, created a unique new flavor. <laughs> so it will be very interesting. We already have Italian Krishna consciousness, you know. <laughs> We're already there, you know. And, uh, you know, in France, it will be cultural. And, and um, yeah. So we'll see all these different flavors of Krishna consciousness coming more and more in the future. It will be interesting. But the core of it all is about commitment. That's the essence. There where there will be commitment, there Krishna will manifest himself. When the commitment is low, then Krishna will be distant. But as the commitment increases, Krishna will become visible. And that is what we want to see. We want to see Krishna become visible before the eyes of the devotees all over the world. This is what we want to see. And of course, oh Jagannatha Swami, Nayana Patakami, Baba Kune, oh my dear Lord Jagannath, please become visible on the pathway of my eyes. Wow. I used to all the time for one question. <laughs> well, then I take one question from the audience here. I'm sorry for the onlineers. I can't see you anyway because it's too small for me. Uh, I'll, I'll take one question from the audience here. Um, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Okay, he was thinking the whole time about commitment. How do I define commitment? And commitment to exactly what? Right. Um, um, commitment is taking place on different levels. In the 
and, and Rupa Goswami is, uh, is defining it all in great detail, right? Rupa Goswami speaks first, it's Vaidhi Bhakti. First, it's about rules and regulations. First, it's just external codes of behavior. And then um, gradually we internalize it. Uh, um, gradually we internally embrace all the all the rules, uh, just as the four regulative principles. You know, I remember when I was very new, there would be lectures about giving up sense gratification. Now, I didn't like those lectures, to be very honest. I thought like, look, it's tough enough. You know, it's a struggle to do all this. And now we have to have lectures about it also all the time. Right? It, I felt it was like too much, you know. I didn't like those lectures. Uh, but now it's okay. <laughs> um, so we have to also internalize. It's not just externally following, but we are following the rules and regulations. Very good. So I could, of course, give a seven-day seminar in answer on your questions if I had seven days, uh, which I don't have now. But in principle, you can very easily. Um, I have an analogy that the commitment is like driving. In the beginning, we start to drive in the night. There's no light. It's pitch black. You don't see anything. All you can do is drive on the white lines. You're very much focused on the lines. These lines, they keep you on the road. Right? And you just drive on the lines. But then we started in the middle of the night. Just as we're driving, finally, day begins. And at the first daylight, things change. You still see the road, you still see the lines, but you also see the mountains. And you see that beautiful lake. You start to see the landscape and, and, and appreciate the landscape. So Krishna consciousness is like that. We make this commitment and initially it's all about the lines, but then we begin to see the landscape of Krishna consciousness with all its varieties and all its flavors and all its experiences. And so Krishna consciousness becomes, becomes an experience. Then that experience brings us taste. Then, then we start to commit with taste. And as we're committing with taste, then uh, things change completely until, you know, we just automatically, uh, as an experienced driver, are, are following the white lines. But, you know, we're not thinking about them anymore. Right. We're not just thinking white lines, white lines, white lines. We're just driving and seeing, wow, what an amazing mountain. Wow, well, I keep an eye on the road, but yes, but there is so much more than just the white line. So this analogy is sort of indicating how the commitment is growing, not only starting from external to internal, to an actual experience of Krishna consciousness, to realization, then, yes, then that commitment becomes real commitment. Yeah. Just following regulations is a beginning, but the real commitment comes when we are embracing in our hearts this Krishna consciousness. When we actually 
start to love it. That's where the real commitment comes. Because then you can give everything. There where it's love, there nothing is impossible. Right. If there's love, nothing is impossible. So then the commitment is complete. Hmm. All right, dear devotees online, I really appreciate it that uh, we saw you again. I will be back in a week's time. We have uh, here a temple full of devotees and we have so many functions coming up here that uh, uh, I still, uh, there will be some initiations and I'm still not finished with the names. <laughs> so I have to go back. There's a lot of people, a lot of names and a name is not an easy thing. You cannot just I mean, I don't pull names out of the head. Yeah? It's like I think about it, about names. So I, I'm still working on them. So I have to go back to names for a while. And then the rest of the names tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah, it's like that. Don't worry. I mean, at the end, sometimes I, I do pull one out of the head. <laughs> one year here in Radhidesh, I forgot one devotee. And she was, she was from Czech and somehow or other she didn't make it on my list. And I you know, had no beats, but anyway, I chanted on her beats right there and then. And then I looked at the deities and prayed for a name. I prayed to Radha Gopinath and I gave her the name Jai Gopinath, <laughs> which is actually a nice name. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes we also have to get spontaneous. Why not? But usually I think about these names. So I'm going to uh, think about names now. And, uh, yeah. We uh, will see you all tomorrow. And the onlineers, yeah, uh, you can also see us tomorrow. Or you can see us uh, sometime later. Latest next week, same time. Uh, maybe not the same place, but definitely the same time. Uh, we'll meet again. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Maharaj.